Hello and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. My name is Robin Birkin and I'm your host. This is a podcast. My site is a site for anyone who is struggling whilst trying to conceive. Uh, Not only with struggling to fall pregnant, but really struggling with the emotional side of things. I know that that's certainly what I struggled with. Uh, And today I wanted to share with you I guess a little bit of the backstory of what's been happening in the last 12 months in my life. If you've listened to podcast episode one, that's where you'll see my story. And I haven't scripted today's podcast or anything, so apologies if I ramble, but I wanted it to be a really honest post just as I was talking as if you were my friend and I was just downloading the whole story. But I wanted to share with you a little bit about what's happened the last 12 months and what is on the horizon for the Fertility Warriors podcast. So in my last podcast, I shared the story of me trying to conceive my first daughter, Chloe. Uh, And Chloe was conceived after several fertility treatments. Uh, We had a miscarriage during our first IVF treatment. I had hyperstimulation. We then had another frozen embryo transfer where we transferred two embryos that didn't take and then I fell pregnant with Chloe on my first ICSI cycle. And that was when I was also taking uh, prednisolone and aspirin because they discovered that it seems that my immune system is switched on but they don't really know why that is. We've done the tests for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and things like that. And it all comes back negative, so who knows what's going on there. So then we look at, you know, what happened after that. I had a really straightforward pregnancy with Chloe. It was a really beautiful pregnancy. I think if you listen to one of my other podcast episodes about what happens when you do fall pregnant, you know, there was a lot of anxiety that went on in my mind. What if things go wrong? What's going on here? But none of that really eventuated. And I went into labor with Chloe just like five days before I was due. Uh, And I had an episiotomy during that labor. We had a bit of trouble breastfeeding at the start because I lost a little bit of blood. So it took a while for my milk to come in. And then I say quite a lot to people that motherhood hit me like a slap in the face. I think when we're trying so hard to conceive and have trouble that we kind of romanticize what it will feel like when we have a child and we really picture, and I think it's a good thing to picture, you know, me sitting in the chair, just holding this sleeping baby, thinking, "Mm, this is heaven. And it kind of wasn't like that. It is still a very, very cool thing she's one of the best things in my life Uh, but it's certainly as I'm sure most realistic people will think it's not all um, sunshine and lollipops when you have a baby because of my age which actually isn't that old but because it took us a couple of years the first time the fertility clinic and my obstetrician said that as soon as Chloe was a year old that we needed to come back in to the fertility clinic and start trying again So that's what we did Um, and we went in there at a year and we essentially got back on the bandwagon. So that was at the end of February and I had five embryos in the freezer. Awesome. So we went forth and we decided that we would use those five embryos that were in the freezer. 
I had had such a hard time conceiving Chloe that I just saw a long fight ahead of me, potentially more miscarriages and things like that. But it wasn't as hard for me the second time. And I think that there's many people, women out there who might fall pregnant on their first IUI or their second IUI or their first IVF and the process happens relatively quickly. That wasn't my situation. But then I know certainly a lot of women who have had that situation and then the second time around expected the same thing and it hasn't gone that way. And sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. Like for some of us, you know, it takes a couple of assisted reproductive cycles to fall pregnant. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason as much as we wish that there was that as to why that's occurring. It appears that my embryos do not like to be frozen. So we had our first embryo transfer. One didn't make it to Thor and then they put the second one in. And the second one definitely wasn't as good quality as when they were you know, putting the fresh ones in and things like that, but it didn't take and that was fine. And I have learned so much on my journey as well on how to cope with the ups and downs of fertility treatments that I really felt strong, I felt empowered, I felt confident moving forward in how to deal with this. So emotionally, I am such a different and such a stronger person and we'll talk a little bit later about how I am emotionally different and you know some other things that have happened. But then we moved on to our second frozen embryo transfer and another two eggs didn't make the thaw. So I went from five um, to they put in two the first time then two of them didn't make it. So I literally had one left. One was kind of like hanging on there, but wasn't looking great. So they put both of them in and the other one had just not made it at all. And that's how I fell pregnant with Olivia. And honestly, I remember just thinking to myself, this is just too easy. This is not what how things happen to me. And if you, I don't know if you've ever read my wedding story but I've actually had a bit of a disaster wedding too I ended up wearing my wedding dress for like a total of about an hour uh, on my wedding <laughs> so I was like no this is not part of my mo here so this is not what happens to me and sure enough I got to 20 weeks with Olivia and I had my anatomy scan and the lady casually mentioned that my placenta was dead center over my cervix. So to give you a bit of a biology lesson, you have your placenta and it usually implants like towards the front, like kind of where your belly button is. But mine had implanted directly above, obviously, where the baby is supposed to come out. And what it does is it like it literally implants into your uterus. It sends out like little veins and arteries um, so that it firmly kind of joins onto that. So that was a bit of a problem. And she just kind of mentioned that and then said, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It probably just means you'll need a cesarean. And if you have a bleed, just go straight to the emergency room. And I was like, what? What? Sorry, what? Anyway, we left the appointment and we had an obstetrician appointment a few days later. And she explained that we had a condition called placenta previa. And of course, I did what most of us do especially if we're type a personalities and i looked up placenta previa online oh my goodness 
like, who are these people who write articles like this that say you could bleed out in 15 minutes and die and I was like oh my god this is serious um, and yes it was serious but for the most part I managed to keep my cool throughout the pregnancy and I actually had you know in terms of a pregnancy a fairly good placenta previa trot uh, and placenta previa is a condition that you know when you have risk factors one of the risk factors is IVF like too many people just poking around your insides and you know my age I'm 36 now so that's to give you my age so I'm not super super old or anything but that those are risk factors and again just luck of the draw you know so I managed to do pretty well a lot of women with placenta previa will have bleeding throughout their pregnancy but things all started to get just a little bit serious when I got to 32 weeks and they started telling me that I wasn't allowed to drive more than 10, 15 minutes from the hospital and I needed someone else to be driving with me, that I needed to wear a sanitary pad all the time now, that uh, I needed to go down the corridor and have some steroid shots because the baby could start making an appearance from now. So all of that was just a little bit scary at times, but again, I'm really strong, I'm really confident, I know how to calm myself, I've really worked through so many things on my journey. Um, so here we are, this is the scenario, and I managed to make it to 37 weeks. And now here for you all is Olivia's birth story. I was just, I just texted my next door neighbor because we were going to have a play date with Chloe and I said we'll be around in a minute and I went to lock the door and felt a little something underneath and I was like oh did I just wet my pants because when you're pregnant stuff leaks. Uh, so I've gone to the toilet and nope sure enough I was started to bleed so you know you think sometimes to yourself what am I going to do in those panic moments but I had kind of played this situation over in my head so the next thing I was on my phone to the neighbor I said change of plans you're going to be taking me to, straight to the hospital and I literally just walked straight out the door I had a bag prepared in case I had a bleed I just grabbed that overnight bag and I wasn't expecting that anything further would happen that they might keep me in overnight or something like that but I just walked straight out the door took Chloe to their house and she just had her parents around at that time so that was a bit lucky and we just walked straight out the door to the hospital so literally I started bleeding we just you know within five minutes we were on our way to the hospital I called the hospital on the way and told them that that was what was happening and I called my husband couldn't get through to my husband at first and I ended up he works with his dad so I ended up trying to call his dad to see where Ross was his dad as it so happened wasn't at work but and he was cutting out so he's like what bleeding what what's going on ah and I was like it's okay like we knew that this might happen anyway so we start um and then I got in contact with Ross and Ross was like oh my god I'm like an hour away and I'm covered in cement because he's a bricklayer what am I going to do they're not going to let me into an operating theater I'm cut like I've got the trailer on the back of the car and I was like dude just calm down like I'm probably going to stay in till the morning just come in have a shower and then go like go to the hospital take your trailer off and everything and just come to the hospital she'll be right and so we got there and I said to Bahavna my neighbor just drop me off and she was like are you sure and as we started getting closer 
and closer to the hospital, I just said, oh, can you just park in the 30-minute parking and just ta help take me up to the hospital? So she said, fine. So we parked in the free 30-minute parking and we walked upstairs and it, things started to hit me at that point because they were waiting for me in the corridor. Robin, come here, come into this room, show me what's going on. Then the next, before I knew it, there were all these people in my face getting ready to deliver this baby. And literally, like I only lived 15 minutes away from hospitals. This is all in the space of between 15 and 20 minutes of me first having a bleed that I was all of a sudden being getting given IVs and things like that to give birth. Uh, so I looked at Bahavna and the panic started to set in that Ross possibly wouldn't make it. And so then I said to Bahavna, actually, do you think you could just wait until Ross gets here? And I thought that they might wait until Ross got here. They didn't wait until Ross got here. So she didn't even finish coming back from paying for parking and they were already wheeling me into theatre. And it's kind of as soon as I got into hospital, maybe it was the walk to the maternity ward, that started contractions. And every time I contracted, it would push out more blood. So it was like things were starting to get a bit serious. So they had a caesarean because you, that's what you need to have when you have placenta previa. And then they went, they took Olivia out. So they, first they said to me, what's her name? And I said, I would rather wait till my husband gets here to tell you. Uh, I had like a quick hello to her. And then she uh, was taken out of the operating theatre while they tried to stop my bleeding. And it just wasn't working. At one point, my obstetrician looked at me and just said, Robin, I have your uterus on top of your stomach. I've been trying to get it to contract for 30 minutes. They were giving me all kinds of medications to try and encourage my uterus to contract and for the bleeding to stop. But it just, my uterus had just, I guess, given up at this point. Um, so the next thing she looked at me and she just said, Robin, you're going to need a hysterectomy. So we're going to need to put you under. And I had some kind of idea that that might happen. It's quite rare, uh, especially when you don't have a further complication like placenta accreta or percreta or something like that. But next thing I knew, I was being put under and getting ready for a hysterectomy. The anaesthetist looked at me just before and he said, do you understand what this means? And I just asked, yes, what are you going to do? You'd like living is more important than having a hysterectomy and it's not like having children came that naturally to us. It's not like I had any embryos in the freezer, which is kind of a lucky place to be in. And so then I woke up maybe at about 8 p.m. and I was in the critical care unit. I had like a tube coming out of my stomach to collect the blood. It turns out that I had lost 2.6 litres of blood, which usually, I don't know what a pregnant woman is, but most people usually only have about four and a half litres of blood in their system anyway. So I'd lost a fair bit of blood and I was super swollen from all the IVs that I'd been given. And here I was, um, obviously didn't have my baby inside my tummy anymore, didn't have my uterus or most of my cervix, 
feeling like, whoa, what just happened? They brought Ross and Olivia, our baby, in to see me. Um, and she didn't want to nurse, couldn't nurse. Uh, and I was pretty out of it. I was on something called fentanyl. I was on all sorts of other painkillers as well. Uh, and that was kind of that. I kind of drifted in and out of sleep then until the next morning. And then at 4am, Ross came to see me and said to me that Olivia had been taken to the special care nursery because she wasn't breathing quite right. So they took Olivia to the special care nursery and I was sort of confined to this bed in the critical care unit. So I didn't really get to see her until much later that day. And I stayed in that bed because I had a catheter and I had this blood drainage tube. That was me sort of for about two or three days I stayed in the bed. And, but they wheeled me in my bed to go and see her in the special care nursery a few times. I wasn't able to nurse because she needed all of her energy to be able to breathe. And it wasn't that her body wasn't oxygenating the blood. It was like the, the force of the lungs wasn't quite there. Um, so I, like I held her, I think, once. Oh, no, I held her twice in total um, during the time that she was in the special care nursery. And she was in the special care nursery for just over five days. Um, and the reason why I only got to see her or hold her twice was because I ended up getting quarantined. They thought I might have had an infection and it took, so they took the test, but then it took 48 hours for the test to come back. And like, literally, I, if you've ever heard someone in a hospital corridor wailing, that was me. And it wasn't so much the fact that I was confined to my room because I actually couldn't have cared less, but that meant that I wasn't able to visit my baby. And I just felt like I, I was missing out on bonding time with her just a little bit. Uh, so I you know, had a nice cry and I think that's really important to know that if that's how you feel and you want to cry, that's a perfectly normal response and a perfectly normal emotion. And then I picked myself up and got on with it and I just kept calling the special care nursery to see how she was going and pumping and things like that. I later found out that, you know, Ross's story, which was essentially that he walked into hospital expecting to see me in a bed and was then suddenly handed a daughter and told to fill out a lot of paperwork because he had to be admitted as her primary carer. So my husband essentially slept in the maternity ward like as her mum for the night until she was whisked off to the special care nursery. We got home after I had an eight night stay in hospital and we had some breastfeeding difficulties because she had a lip and tongue tie. But overall, that was essentially my birth story. A lot of people would be really traumatized by that. A lot of people would feel some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was added to a group of women who have had cesareans after hysterectomy. And certainly many of them do feel that way but I don't. I actually feel really lucky because the hospital that I was at is a first class hospital. Depending on the day, 
they might be the busiest emergency room in Australia. So they are well equipped to deal with emergency situations. They are pretty much the only hospital in WA that can do cell salvage at very short notice, which means that the blood that you lose, some of it can be put back into you. And they, out of 2.6 litres, they managed to put about 600 mils back into me. And I had one blood transfusion as well. And they have a level two nursery, which means that they can look after babies from 32 weeks and they have quite a lot of equipment there. So I've actually come out of the situation feeling very lucky that I was in such good hands and that here I am now. I feel like I've blinked because it has all gone so fast. I felt like the first year with Chloe you know, was month by month. Okay, now she's six months. Okay, now she's seven months. And what happens at this time? But Olivia, because of the chaos of two children, which I'm very, I'm just so lucky every day that I get to have two healthy children, touch wood, that I feel like I've blinked. And now Olivia is 11 months old. And that is just crazy. But I've also had a year of really deep reflection in my life and I think Ross has my husband has too but really thinking about what it is from that we want from life where it is that we want to move going forward and you know we don't just want to exist we want to have real unity in our family and be able to go forth and have really happy enjoyable lives and to some degree, I feel like for the last six years, my life has been on hold in this pursuit of trying to have children. So as with anything, you know, whether we have babies or we don't have babies, it is all a finite period of time. And for me, that time is now over. And I've had a lot of reflection about, okay, you know, and sharing my story, the pod, the whole reason why I started the podcast, the show and everything is because this is how I deal with my life. This is how I deal personally with situations in my life is that I'm an open book and that I like to share. I like to write for whatever reason I like to do that in a public forum, but that's how I deal with things. And now this sort of chapter of my life is over. And so I've had a bit of reflection of, well, what do I want to do now? My previous job was quite a high-powered marketing job and even though I had gone down to part-time hours when I'd, after, you know, going back to work after Chloe was a year old, I, it was long hours. It was long hours. It was extra hours and nighttime work with functions and things like that. So I feel like it just wasn't really suiting my lifestyle and Ross has quite a successful business so I felt like he needed me to be there to hold space for him so staying in my marketing job or going back to my marketing job now that Olivia is a, nearly a year old was certainly a consideration but something that I have now decided is not right for our family which is a pretty big decision to make when you decide to resign from a job especially when the people who you work for are so lovely and so supportive and then deciding you know to essentially cut out a guaranteed income source that's kind of a big decision to make 
and then deciding, well, what do I want to do with everything that I do in the fertility space? And if you're on my email database, I, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to share this podcast is because I wanted you all to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes. And you may have had an inkling that things are changing just a little bit. And they are. I've been doing a bit of freelance marketing over the last couple of years as well, which I really enjoy. I love seeing a brand come together. I love being able to coach women to help them do what they love and you know see how they can make their passion and income. I love helping doing graphic design. I love doing web designy kind of stuff. That stuff is super cool. So I had a bit of a moment last year where I thought, okay, that's this is what I'm going to do. This is the path that I'm going to take. I am going to become a business coach slash um, do it, do it done for you services such as you know like project management, web design, graphic design. But the thing is just can't let this fertility stuff go I almost feel like I have an obligation to everyone out there who is oh, I'm about to cry everyone out there who is struggling on this journey because I know exactly how you feel I know that sometimes you have days when you just don't know how you're going to go on with the world. I know that you have so many days when you have to be strong on the outside but might not feel it on the inside. I know that you wonder why is this happening to you when there are people in the world who clearly don't deserve children and get them. I know how you feel when the person who you least expected announces their pregnancy on a Facebook or at a crowded dinner. I know how you feel when every second person is asking you when you are going to have children and you just want to scream out to them that you're trying and it's not working and thanks for being for asking a question that you really shouldn't be asking people. I just know the heartache. I know what it feels like when your heart feels tight and heavy and I know how you feel when you're exhausted. I know how scary it feels when you are suddenly thrust into this medical world and there's all of this jargon and to my mind, the emotional side of infertility is just as important as the medical side and I think that becoming pregnant is the ultimate goal and that's what we want, but do we want to really feel traumatized by the experience in the long run or do we want to feel like we have become stronger more empowered more confident and more resilient and more knowledgeable about our journey and I just I don't know whether that is what part of what passion is but I feel obliged and to every one of you who send me emails or messages on Facebook I don't always get the time to reply, but I definitely read every one of them. And I just love when you read, when you message me and say that it's helped. I love when you message me 
and tell me that you have now fallen pregnant. I love when you say that you have listened to my podcasts and you enjoy them. It makes a big difference in my life and a big difference to why I do what I do. So if I can't give fertility up, if I can't give up the fight for all of you, where does that leave me? Especially when I have just quit my job. Oh God. But no. I So I think that absolutely the path of becoming a fertility coach is one that I would like to take because I would like the opportunity to be able to work with women in a close group and live work with them on exactly their problems and help with the things in my journey that made a huge difference. I cannot tell you how different I am as a person compared to what I was six years ago. I feel strong. I feel confident. I feel like, you know what, whatever the world wants to throw at me, I can handle it. And it just makes everything else in your life much clearer. uh, And it makes it really easy to then start working toward your goals. So I'm still trying to work out exactly how that will work and the best way to be able to bring those services to you all. Uh, I launched an e-course last year and I'm currently, if you're on my email list, I'm doing a pilot program for group coaching. So if you, if that's something that you're interested in, you want to know more about some of the things that I uh, am doing, then you really need to be on my email list. Uh, but that's sort of where I'm headed at the moment is that I just want to make a big impact on everyone in this journey. It is my hope that I can start a change that helps one, the stigma of infertility, miscarriage to be lifted, but also two, to really make sure that the fertility clinics understand that the emotional side is just as important as the medical side and start working towards resources to help women in that space. And, you know, I would love to be able to put together programs that the fertility clinics could give to their clients um, as part of the services that they offer. That would I just think that would make such a difference. And what people don't realize is that mind-body programs can have almost like double the rate of success for IVF treatments. And I feel that that would be in absolutely the best interest for the fertility clinic's success rates. I feel like that would be in the best interest of people undertaking IVF. And that's why I feel like it can be so hard to invest in ourselves. And I think almost sometimes that's the first hurdle. But investing in yourself, investing in your mental resilience, investing in your overall well-being can also be an investment in the outcomes that we want to achieve from a pregnancy perspective. So that's where I am. Bear with me as I navigate these waters. And my next big announcement is that I'm rebranding. I'm letting go of modern day misses. I feel like here I am 
let's say I was a caterpillar and now I'm a butterfly, although I don't know that I'm that glamorous. Uh, and I don't know that butterflies swear like I do too, but I'm rebranding to robinberkin.com. So I feel like it's time to shed a bit of old skin. And Modern Day Misses was just a name that I plucked out of the air in 2012. And so that's carried me through the wellness blog and everything like that. So you can certainly head over and check out the website now. I'm not sure that it's 100% finished. Is any website 100% finished? I don't know. But you can now find me at my new digs at robinberkin.com. As I end this podcast, I really just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you. As I've said, doing this podcast, writing my blog has been such good therapy for me and the messages that I receive from people in the group, on my Facebook, everywhere have just, they warm my heart and I appreciate every single one of you out there who listen to the podcast, read my stuff, get involved with me. I love it. I am here for a bit longer. I have certainly lots of plans. Let's see how this all works out. And thank you for coming on this ride with me. I'll speak to you next time. Bye.